Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde was written by Amanda Brown and published in 2001. And the film adaptation, which also came out in 2001, was directed by Robert Lukatik. And this is a patron-requested episode. Shout out to our patron and dear friend, Rachel, who asked us to do this episode. Uh, This is one of her favorite movies of all time. Mm -hmm. She was really excited about us talking about this. But Ian, this is a very unique adaptation. Yeah, so we kind of had to like try to figure out why things happened the way they did. Yeah. So it started off with us noticing that both the film and the book were came out the same year. That happens sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Um, but usually more for like a like Stephen King yeah. book that has already been optioned for the movie. And like usually it's like a bigger name already. Yeah. And usually it doesn't come out the same, the same year. year. Yeah. So that was weird. And then we got our copies <laughs> of the book from the library. Yeah. Which we had to do an interlibrary loan for. Yes. Because my library system didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And we were like, these are weirdly shitty books. Yeah. They're... Very thin paperbacks, and they're not formatted well. No. So there's, like, too much text on every page. Mm-hmm. The chapter breaks are, like, uh, like the like chapters will consistently be, like, a page and a quarter. Yeah. And then the next page, page and a quarter. Uh, I think you don't really realize that you get used to how books usually look until you see something that looks different. And maybe we'll post something on our stories that kind of shows maybe comparing the way this book is laid out to like a different like traditionally published book. Because you can just tell right away that something is like slightly off. And it kind of reminds me of remember when we read uh, Red Alert? Yes, yeah, it's and exactly like that. And the copy of like it was, that. like, so shitty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was very much like that. Yeah. And you could tell on the book it was from uh, First Books Library, firstbooks.com. Yeah. So, like, we're like, this was self-published, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is weird, because this was when the movie came out. Yep. So, you know, we we tried to look into it, and I, I eventually found an interview with the author where she explained that she sent the manuscript of the book to a uh, agent mm-hmm. who then sent it to both publishers and to production companies to sell the rights for. Yeah. And it sold rights. Um, there was kind of a bidding war between production companies over it. And for it's, the movie. For the movie rights. Uh, but no publication company ended up uh, picking it up. Yeah. So it was this weird scenario of it sold the movie rights, but like no publisher wanted it. No publisher would touch it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is not, you know, a great sign. No. Uh, So she ended up self-publishing it and it came out around the same time. Mm -hmm. And then she did end up, I think, selling the rights later to a publishing company because it has been republished. Like it has had like reissues the the version that we have I think is the, the original yeah. like self published or one of the very first um but it's been published since then in different formats but yeah it was like it's so weird to think about this idea of and I think she was maybe forced into self-publishing because she wanted to have the book out when the movie came sure, out. Sure, which makes know? sense, yeah. Because so then she could get that credit on the film that said based on the book. That's true, And yeah. if she didn't have the book published, 
then nobody would be able to find it. Well, and also when a movie's coming out, like that's obviously great uh, publicity for the book version. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. kind of even if it is self-published, you're probably going to sell a lot if there's a movie coming out about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we don't really hide our opinions throughout the podcast. You know, we don't like reveal them to the end and be like, guess what? We loved it. Guess what? We hated it. Like you all yeah. know <laughs> what we're feeling. And I think, you know, this is not a well-written book. And there's definitely a reason that it was not picked to be published. Yeah, which, I mean, even when publication companies probably knew that it was being turned into a film, which would be like, hey, that's like great advertising for a book, even if it's not great. But there's no guarantee how a movie will fare, right? No. So they could have, you know, even with the idea of like, oh, it's being made into a movie, like, what does that even mean? You know, it it could have flopped, like it could have not been lucrative for the publishing company. And I think later on, the book eventually being bought and re-released is testament to the movie's success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So, yeah, just a really kind of a unique uh, publication in history to this book. Yeah. Additionally, it is uh, loosely autobiographical. Mm -hmm. The author did go to uh, Stanford, which is where the book takes place. Yeah. So this is somewhat based on like her personal experiences there. Yeah. And, you know, I read that she went to Stanford Law School for like maybe six months Mm -hmm. and then dropped out. Yeah. yeah. And she claims that she picked Stanford because of the mall that was nearby. I also read that. And I don't know if that's just her being like leaning into the character of Elle. Yeah. Or what. But I also didn't ever find a reason for why she went to law school in the first place. Well, I read that both her parents were lawyers. Okay. So I think she kind of saw it as like, well, this makes sense for me to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And then she, I think, hated it. Yeah. And she actually like based like this book started out as like kind of her writing about her experience and like writing letters to her friends and family about like kind of the stupid people that she met at Stanford. Yeah. And a lot of um a lot of the scenes in this book feel like just a collection of essays. I completely agree. And I think it was originally I read that she originally had it as just like kind of a collection of essays and then someone gave her the feedback that she should turn it into a novel. And I think maybe she should have just stuck with the essays. Yeah, because like Elle is in one way such a strong and, and by strong, I mean like unique and yeah. specific kind of protagonist. But there are so many scenes in this book where it's just her describing what's going on in these classes or like group settings where she's just a spectator Mm -hmm. and like not participating or engaging in anything that's going on. And it feels weird because you're like, why am I reading so much about all these other people when she's not even doing anything? Mm -hmm. So that that makes a lot of sense that it would have been like letters first and then kind of an essay book and then then turned into this. (laughs) Yeah. So very different from the movie, but let's start with the movie here. We have a very iconic opening credit sequence to this film where it's Elle getting ready for the day. She's brushing her hair. She's putting on makeup. She's got like Mm -hmm. perfume going. It's a whole deal. You want to know something interesting about this? What? This was filmed later when Reese Witherspoon had already moved on to another project. Oh, 
So that's not her. Really? At the beginning, the hair brushing and the close-ups of the hands and all that stuff. Like that's like a stand-in. Yeah. I actually really like it a lot. And I'm sure it was by necessity. They couldn't actually show her face because it wasn't her. No, but it is a great introduction. It is. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like a cool reveal of her character and who she is. And we kind of know who she is from the beginning. Yeah, kind of, you know, focusing on all these, like, micro details that, like, really make up her personality as a whole. Definitely. Uh, She is in school currently. I forget if we know in the movie what I think it's UCLA, except they're, like, C-U-L-A or something. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know. Uh, And I, is it the same in the, uh, in the book? Yeah. Okay. So she is... This sorority girl yeah, who just is all into fashion and her look. and mm-hmm. um, But the thing I really liked about these beginning parts was, like, the depiction of the sorority is, like, very positive. It's very positive and supportive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I read that Reese Witherspoon actually spent time with, like, uh, some sorority girls as kind of, like, prep and research. And she was like, yeah, they were super nice and great and supportive. And it was just, like, a good experience. Yeah. They're very kind to each other and like supportive and Elle is getting ready for this big date she's going to have with her boyfriend Warner and I love the scene where Warner picks her up and like all the sorority girls are like lined up (laughs) and then one of them spritzes her with like perfume one of them gives her like mouth wash and like they're just like here to support her (laughs) because Elle thinks that Warner her longtime boyfriend is finally going to pop the question to her yeah uh, based on like some random evidence of like his grandma flying in and mm-hmm. things like this. So she thinks like tonight's like the big night. Yeah. Little does she know that <laughs> he is taking her out on a date to break up with her, Ian. This is this is awful. I mean, <laughs> her reaction in the middle of this restaurant, like he deserves every uncomfortable moment of it. I know. I feel like it's a it's like part of Warner's character that he wouldn't really expect her to be that mad. Yeah. Like he's so self-centered that he feels like he could just explain that like, hey, it's not working out right. And she would just be like, oh, of course, like whatever you think is best. I totally understand. You know, I love her like sobbing in the restaurant. <laughs> that's just so like, <gasps> like <laughs> Really high and like yeah. stuttered and just yeah. yeah, it's so it's distinctive and like so funny. Of course, Warner is breaking up with her because he is gonna go to law school in the fall and his family has all gone to law school. They're from the East Coast. And he feels like he has these family expectations that he needs to meet. He needs to date someone who is maybe also a law student, someone serious, as he says. Yeah. And he doesn't view Elle as serious. And he thinks because, you know, she's blonde and that her boobs are big, (laughs) uh, (laughs) that she's not good material. And I mean, I think this is indicative of Warren's character early on that he is all about appearances Mm -hmm. and status. Yeah. And so... He he's broken things off with her. I do love the way leaving the dinner, like Elle tries to like storm off on her own. Yeah. And Warner like catches up to her and like keeps kind of sweet talking her and gets her back in the car. And I think it does a good job of establishing kind of the control he still has over her and yeah. the fact that she's like not totally over him. Mm-hmm. And so she goes through a very depressive period. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. (laughs) This was her depressive period. (laughs) Yes. Her blue phase. Yeah. And until she sees in a magazine Warner's brother and his wife. Yeah. 
who also graduated from Stanford. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, or I guess it's in, in the film, it's Harvard. Yes, it's Harvard in the film. It's Harvard. And she realizes, oh my God, this is the kind of woman that Warner needs and that Warner's looking for. Mm-hmm. And I should be this woman. Yeah. So she decides to go to law school. And I maybe this might be like the best part of the movie. <laughs> I, it's hard to say because the movie so is good. so good. But this whole part about her like studying for the LSATs, the video application that she does. Yeah. Even just telling her parents and her like guidance counselor, I'm guessing, that she wants to go to law school. It's just so funny. It intercut with the video is so good. <laughs> like her explaining all these things while she's in a bikini. Yeah. And we also forgot to mention, and I mean, it's it's a very small scene, but I think it's great. Yeah. Which is before she even goes on the date with uh Warner, she's at a uh a clothing store Mm -hmm. and this clerk is like, Oh my God, I'm going to like rip off this like dumb blonde into overpaying for this dress. Yeah. And she tries to like sell it to her saying it's like, Oh, we just got it in. It's new. Mm -hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And Elle catches her in the middle of this lie. Yeah. Being like, oh, I saw this in Vogue last year. There's no way you just got it in. And like, yeah. also that type of stitching like wouldn't work for this dress. <laughs> and then she just goes on to like not caring. Yeah. But I think this is such a great, because this is kind of our first real scene with Elle. Mm-hmm. And it's a great scene because it kind of summarizes the entire theme of the movie, which is people underestimating Elle. Yeah. And even though she is into fashion and kind of like her own appearance, she's very smart. Yeah. But she's also not malicious. No, that too. And I think that's that something that this scene shows because she doesn't like rub it into the clerk's face at all. Yeah. She's very much like, um, that's impossible. Whatever. And then just kind of <laughs> turns back to her friends and is like, okay, what outfit am <laughs> yeah. I going to wear tonight? You know, like it's, she's very unbothered and she's like, she doesn't let people mess with her, mm-hmm. but she's also not out to get anyone. And she doesn't, it doesn't feel like she thinks that she needs to compete with anybody either or prove yeah. herself. She's very secure in who she is. And I think you're so right that this is a pivotal scene in the movie and it kind of shows us what her character is going to be like in the rest of the film. Yeah, it's in one way like a forgettable scene, but in another way, I think it's like a perfect scene, especially to start the film off with. Yeah. Of course, we have the all-male, all-white admissions panel that views her video essay. And I love like the ending part where she just kind of like like stands up out of like the hot tub and like kind of rolls her shoulders back and is very like, here I am in my bikini. And the men are like, I mean, diversity, right? Yeah. (laughs) God. I know. But like, maybe I'm like, I don't know. I, the the movie is in a way so smart that like, I think it's like so self-aware of how ridiculous it is for them to be like, I mean, diversity, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For this, like, rich white woman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Let's switch to the book. Yep. Because the book begins in a very odd way. Can I just read you the first couple lines of this book, I would love for you to read the first lines. Okay, listen, this is is chapter one. Line one, page one, (laughs) this is the first thing that you're getting. At least mine won't sag. Serena glanced down at her saline-enhanced chest. My boobs are as perky as the day I put them on my credit card. So what if they'll never sag, Margot said, unimpressed. They're as hard as rocks. Miserable and neglected, Elle Woods glared at Margot and Serena. 
Some sisterhood. You're supposed to be my friends. Maybe I should have been a theta, she snipped acidly. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, honestly, I think that's, like, not the worst that the book gets. Yeah. But, like, in terms of, like, how cringy all of that is. That goes on for, like, a whole page. It's them just arguing about a boob job. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this our introduction to this character? Because it's not even really about Elle at all. No, and it's not really indicative of her personality at all. Yeah. Because uh, ultimately she bursts into tears in the middle of this argument. Yeah. And reveals that her longtime boyfriend, Warner, has broken up with her. Yeah. So we are like rushing past. If you think that like movies kind of rush past like the introductory phase and get like too quick into stuff. Yeah. This book, I was shocked because, you know, I'm familiar with the movie. I've seen it multiple times. Within the first five pages, she is already at Stanford. Yeah. yeah. Like. It's so fast. It's so fast. Like, the whole um, decision to go to law school, her admitting that Warner broke up with her, um, even getting there, moving in, her first scene with Warner, too. Like, it's all so fast, and it's given such little significance and as someone who's used to the film and knows like how pivotal some of these early scenes are yeah i was really stunned that the author didn't really give time to something that is supposed to be so important to the story right because we're supposed to want to root for l to get back with warner at the beginning right yeah yeah. but we don't even know what they're like together no we get no time with them yeah uh yeah no i think that's such an important point to make is that like, you know, I think books can sometimes do this effectively where it immediately throws you in the middle of like some kind of situation, which, you know, in this instance would be her having been broken up by Warner. Yeah. And then it can give you the backstory and kind of fill you in. But then it needs to take its time. Yeah. Getting us from that point to her applying and getting into Stanford. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just a line, basically. Her being like, oh, yeah, the L sets were easy. And I like very quickly passed them. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, no, show us. You know, I love the scene in the movie where she's studying, right? Yeah. And her sorority sisters are helping her study. And it's such a uh-huh. supportive environment. And she's actually having to, like, work hard. Like, she has to take the practice test. She's, like, scoring herself. She's, like, pushing herself beyond her normal capacity. I mean, we see the scene where it, she could have gone to a frat party. Yeah. And she chooses not to. You know, you feel like, oh, she accomplished something. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes... It's funny because, I, like you said, I think we think of movies as rushing more than books. Yeah. But sometimes I think books are more uh, guilty of that, where mm-hmm. it's like, we got to start off quick to get the like the reader like engaged immediately. Yeah. And it's like, no, I think you can take your time to introduce characters. And like, as long as your writing is good and your characters are good and interesting, like, you should be engaged from the beginning and then be introduced to like these main components of the plot. Yeah, and honestly, we don't even really get a lot of flashbacks. We get, like, maybe one flashback to what it was like for Elle to be with Warner, but not really anything else. And, like, the interaction she has with Warner when she gets to law school is also really brief. It's just kind of like, oh, you're here? Oh, okay. It's so underwhelming. Yeah. Like, compare that to the movie. That scene is so perfect in the film. Oh, my God, I know. When Warner sees her and she's like, oh, I go here now. And he's like, what do you mean you go here? What does that mean you go here? (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's like she Harvard does, Law. And she and he's like, you got into Harvard. And she's like, what? Like it's hard. <laughs> Which is so classic, such a good line from her. And the fact that she plays it so confidently yeah, speaks to her character. Whereas in the book, she's more... Well, and in the book, too, she is also, in this initial scene, introduced to Warner's fiance, new girlfriend slash fiancé. Yeah. Uh, who, frustratingly, in the book, is named... Sarah. Sarah. Serious Sarah. Serious Sarah. Serious <laughs> XM Radio. Uh, and so, like, there's just so much glommed on to this one scene. Which should be so pivotal, right? Yeah, and it just feels, like, really underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in the movie, we have this first scene with Warner where she's super confident and kind of, like, throwing it in his face, you know? And then we have the follow-up scene where she's introduced to Vivian, yes. the fiance, and suddenly she's vulnerable again, you know, yeah. because she's blindsided by the engagement. Absolutely. And, and the movie even goes a step farther by introducing Vivian first, mm-hmm. her kind of being antagonistic to her, and then discovering Warner and her are together and engaged. Yeah. Just good rolling out of of information. Yeah, it really like leads you along a path that's clear and understandable. Also, yeah. the book like introduces a random character that never is important to the story. Oh my god! Just this rando dude, Sydney, who apparently Elle has known her entire life. But when we're introduced to him into the book, there's no explanation as to why he's there. So like, picture this: you're just like reading the book, and she's like, "Oh, Sydney is here," and it's just this. Dude who's, like, kind of a geeky, like, asshole who is, like, harassing Elle. And then she's like, oh, I had known him forever. But never in the book is she like, I knew that he was going to Stanford and I couldn't avoid him. Or, like, I didn't know he was going to Stanford because I don't try to, like, avoid him and not talk to him. Like, there was no explanation and no connection between the fact that, like, they had known each other since, like, childhood and then they were both at Stanford Law, and there was no, like, let's bridge that gap. Nothing. And it's so weird to try to explain that. <laughs> yeah. Because it sounds insane, right? Like, I'm asking for just a line that says, like, oh, she knew he was at Stanford, but hoped she wouldn't run into him. But, like, you kind of need that. Yeah. You know? The rolling out of information is so odd and like especially in that scene yeah and like like you said sydney first of all he's just weird and creepy yeah he's constantly hitting on her he's always negging her yeah constantly telling her that she's like dumb and mm-hmm. what is she doing at stanford but also so clearly like wants Trying to, to get fuck with her. her yeah uh that it's like weird and uncomfortable and he never plays any kind of role in the plot in the plot like and even like he's not even a straight antagonist because at one point he sends her like a valentine's gift yeah that i mean is probably still him hitting on her but she seems to still like appreciate it i know and i'm like what who is this (laughs) i don't know ian it's so bizarre it's so poorly plotted yeah i I just don't even know what to say i i really like so much of this book feels like a first draft yeah and not only that but like the author was writing and then like like I would really believe that Sydney is based on like a real person that she knew. Yeah. Where it's like I kind of knew him from this thing and I don't know at what point I knew he was going to Stanford but like I ran into him mm-hmm. and he was always kind of around and weird to me. Like he feels like a real person and as far as like he doesn't actually contribute to the plot. Yeah. But 
But you need that but in a is, book. This is a book. Yeah, it's not real life. No, it's a book. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> like he actually needs to play a role in the story to some degree, given how much emphasis he's given. Yeah, to be reasonable and to be like, why? What's the point of him being here? Absolutely, he's a terrible, <laughs> awful character. Let's go back to the movie, and Elle is accepted accepted into Harvard Law School, and she starts out her time at Harvard. I love. Elle's personality kind of just budding into the culture of Harvard. We see this, like, the first, you know, kind of scene where she's, like, registering for orientation. There's this great scene where she's, like, on a blanket on the lawn. (laughs) Yeah. Where everyone's talking about themselves and introducing themselves, and everybody's like, oh, I got my master's here. I did a PhD here. I did this community service here. Yeah. I think the movie does... A great balancing act of like the other students feeling pretentious yes to a degree without being like overbearing because mm-hmm. in the book which we'll talk about it's way overbearing yeah but like in this scene it's like all right they're a little full of themselves and yeah. you know then it gets to l who talks about her history as a homecoming queen and yeah. like it, her um sorority stuff mm-hmm. and like i just love how you know Elle does become self-conscious at points in the story or, like, uh, loses her confidence in a way. Yeah. But, like, for so much of the story, she's just so confident and, like, how she talks about herself. Yeah, no, she is, she very much knows who she is and she doesn't see a problem with it. Yeah. And it's really fun to kind of have that energy, especially juxtaposed with these people around who are trying to like prove themselves to each other. Yeah. I think in this scene, especially because they're almost trying to like one up each other with like their accomplishments. (laughs) Yeah. And Elle is just like, oh, and this is who I am. Like, I'm so happy to be here. So cool (laughs) that we're all sharing our stuff together. You know, she's just so earnest and so sincere yeah uh and i love that so much and of course we get uh her first class where she didn't quite prepare because she didn't know there was advanced reading Ian. she mm-hmm. didn't know and she's asked to leave the classroom yeah and it's just very embarrassing for her mm-hmm. uh this is a scene that vivian is in yeah and kind of like pits them against each other to a degree yeah uh, when she leaves the class, she runs into a mysterious, handsome, handsome helpful gentleman. Gentleman. <laughs> what is his role at the school? I think he might be a TA. Well, no, that's not right. Um, I don't know. Because I always just thought throughout in the movie, I just thought he was also a student, but like a couple years ahead of her. Mm-hmm. But then later on, it makes him seem like he's already like. A lawyer, like he's passed the bar. Yeah, I mean, he could be like, I don't know if this translates. I just know of it in like the science world, like a postdoc, okay, working for the school still, yeah. but not a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later they do say that like he's an assistant in some way to Professor Callahan. Yeah. So I don't know if he, I don't know if he's hired by the school or Callahan's like law firm. Or, like, what the connection is. Yeah, it's a little... I wish we had gotten maybe just, like, one moment of kind of explaining his role just a little specifically. Yeah, and I know there's a line where he says, like, Callahan says, like, oh, and this is Emmett who does such and such. But that doesn't really explain anything to people <laughs> who don't know anything about law and, like, yeah. law school and, like, that that field, so... Yeah, 
Uh, but uh, Luke Wilson yes. is so great in this film. As Emmett. As Emmett. He's just very charming. He's very laid back. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our favorite moments is when he sees Elle's application for resume. resume, which is pink and scented. <laughs> yeah. And he just smells it and mm-hmm. is just like, smells nice. Yeah. <laughs> It's just such a simple line and he delivers it so plainly, but it's just so funny. I know. And I love how like helpfully he is to her in this scene. Yeah. You know, he's very understanding, too, because she's complaining about being kicked out of class by this professor. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, she made me cry, too. Like, and I love his story being like, I mean, I waited until after class, <laughs> but I did cry afterward. <laughs> like, yeah. he makes himself so relatable right away and then just gives her, like, actual helpful advice being like, hey, if you do this in these classes, it'll help you get ahead. Yeah, it's just a good introduction to his character. We don't even learn his name for a while. Yeah. Which I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we also just talk briefly here about... L's outfits. Yes. Because I think this is peak style in the movie. Yeah. Because she still has the boldness of her <laughs> like LA fashion sensibilities. Yeah. But she's trying somewhat to focus Meld them. It. Yeah, into like this academia. Uh-huh. Like in her first day of classes, she has like this <laughs> glittery old man cardigan. Yeah. With, with like a tie, a, with a tie uh, <laughs> and glasses, and glasses, yes, that I don't think are prescription at all. Uh, but it's like such a ridiculous but great look. I love it. Uh, and there's like other scenes from here where you know when she's trying to win back Warner and she mm-hmm. wears like this glittery bikini top with a fur <laughs> jacket on top yeah. and like these sunglasses and. Uh, it, it's just like, cause later on as she gets like more professional and serious, she starts to hone in her style and like, yes, make it more appropriate, I guess, for the setting. But mm-hmm. like in this phase of the film. Yeah. It's bizarre, but yes, great. But great. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that Reese Witherspoon in her contract, uh, it stated that she could keep all of the outfits from this movie. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> So despite how confident Elle is in who she is, she's not accepted at Harvard Law. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple scenes in the movie that show us this. She tries to join Warner's study group and Vivian refuses to allow her in. Some other people make some snide comments to her and she just doesn't really feel welcome. But luckily around this time, she meets Paulette, who works at a mani-pedi salon and is someone that Elle identifies with and befriends and eventually helps also. Yeah, you know, I really love that Paulette listens to her and everything going on with her. And then Paulette shares what's going on in her life. Yeah. And Elle just really sits there and listens and, like, sympathizes with her. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, my God, that's so terrible because Paulette is uh, breaking up or divorcing her husband. Yeah. And her husband has her dog that she loves. Mm Mm-hmm. And just once again, showing how sympathetic and sincere Elle is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And we get a scene later on where she (laughs) accompanies Paulette Mm -hmm. to her husband's trailer where she acts as her, like, attorney. Her legal counsel. Yes. And basically Paulette is like, I'm taking the dog. I love that. It's such a good scene. It is. It's great. Kind of uh, seeing 
where Elle is at in terms of like her legal education. Like she is using a lot of terminology that I think is right, but like yeah. she's still very uncertain mm-hmm. and still figuring things out. But using it to help someone. Yes. Which I think is very true to her character. Yeah, it's great. Let's talk about the book, Ian. Mm. Elle does make one friend in the book. Her name's uh, Eugenia. Interesting fact about Eugenia, she is from Pittsburgh. Oh, that's right. And her family knew the uh, Warhol family, yeah, which is Andy Warhol's family. They mentioned Andy Warhol like three times. Andy Warhol, which I thought was weird. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, like obviously he's an icon in art and fashion and so many things, but like. Yeah, I don't know if the author maybe had a fascination with Andy Warhol or something. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, But Eugenia does make a comment about like, oh, my God, like leaving Pittsburgh and coming out here must was like discovering (laughs) art or she's made some comment that shits on Pittsburgh kind of, which was funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Eugenia is like her only like true friend. And I feel like we don't. Like, we are told a lot about her, but also I feel like I have no idea what her character is well, like. Well, here's the thing, Ian. The book, the book's plot is basically her trying to get back with Warner, right? Yeah. And then also the trial is part of it. Yes. There is nothing else going on in the story. Not really. Whereas the movie is like, okay, and also there's this Paulette subplot. Yeah. And there's also this, like, Emmett subplot, mm-hmm. right? And it's pretty focused. And the book has all these scenes that, when you think about it later, don't contribute to the plot. Mm, yeah, and yeah. that's a huge problem in the story. And, like, we have so many scenes, Ian. So many <laughs> scenes of Elle in class just reading a fucking magazine. I am shitting you not. There are, like, at least five scenes of Elle being like, I guess I'll pull out my magazine during this class lecture. And I'm like, why do we keep having this happen? Like, what is the point? What are you trying to tell us? Yeah. What is the message that you're trying to, like, SOS me? Like, I cannot read it. <laughs> so here's the thing, and it's just occurring to me now, right? Yeah. So the thing that's weird about this is, like, Elle seems very aloof. Like, yeah. she doesn't seem to be interested in her classes. She no. seems to read magazines instead of paying attention. Sometimes she skips classes altogether to, like, get her hair done or her yeah. nails done. And that would make sense. If this was a series of essays based on the author's real experience of dropping out, of after, dropping six out after six months. Yep. So that feels like it's supposed to be like actually about her. However, of course, in the book, Elle is actually very smart and actually does really well in law school. Yeah. But the author never explains how Elle, who reads magazines in class and skips class a lot, is also really good at this. Yeah. Like, we we get parts where she's, like, reading books on, or listening to books on tape. And studying. And, like, her friends have given her outlines and she is studying. Like, it, it does explain how she puts the time in. But, like, that juxtaposed with her not paying attention in class feels weird. It does. And I... I'm only now realizing or thinking that, like, that aspect is probably based on her real life. Yeah, and not only does Elle, in this book, not care about her classes and, in fact, like, ignores them as much as possible, she's also really mean to everybody around her. And, you know, 
again, as you're, if you're saying that this is a woman who took classes for six months, lampooned everybody that she saw on campus and then <laughs> left, that would make sense. But Elle is just very cruel and vicious to a lot of people. And I just want to read a portion from the book. So she's in the bathroom and she is observing a classmate. And we'll talk about the nicknames later, but here we go. <laughs> Rare Claire was struggling with her headband. Elle watched her tuck an errant strand of hair behind her ear, noting that the headband did nothing to disguise the fact that Claire had hair, the texture of a Brillo pad. Elle decided that if she were stuck with her tires spinning in the snow, Claire's turned Claire turned upside down with her hair lodged under the tire would make an excellent crowbar. So she had a positive quality after all. Claire was busy surveying her blue chinos, secured by a signature cloth, whale-embroidered belt, whose happy green whales defiantly fought the blood red of her wool cardigan. She pulled her white turtleneck snug and fixed her Coke bottle glasses squarely on her ski jump nose. Her only accessory, excluding her matching whale Bermuda bag, was a pearl necklace. So, like, this is a whole paragraph and a half about a classmate who is ugly and has no fashion sense. Yep. And here's the thing. If Elle was then like, I have to help this poor soul, yeah. it would be forgivable. But she doesn't. No. She like observes all this and I then I think makes like a snide comment. She does. And leaves. Yeah. And it's like, ugh. Like, it'd be, you know, if, if she's obviously critical or knows fashion and mm-hmm. like observes those things, but then is like, I should do something. Yeah. It would like, that all could kind of be forgiven. You know what I mean? Well, and contrast this to when... Uh, in the movie, Elle is talking to Paulette about Vivian. Mm-hmm. And Vivian is like, oh, is she prettier than you? And Elle says, well, she could use some highlights, but she's <laughs> not unfortunate looking. Kind yeah. of saying like, no, she's she's pretty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like not using that opportunity, which a lot of people would use to criticize someone that she's really upset at. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so there's another part I want to read. <laughs> Here we go. Because it's like, it's similar and it feels like another missed opportunity. And there's just so many weird aspects about this story. So, so like that was a missed opportunity in terms of like, that could have been uh, Elle helping her classmates who have been shitty to her this whole time. Yeah. And kind of gaining their respect her using her own sensibilities to help them. Yeah. Fashion in a fashion sense. Yeah, absolutely. There's another scene where so she's getting kicked out of her dorm room because she has her dog with her. And yeah. They're like, you can't have a dog in your dorm room. You either have to get rid of the dog or move. Mm-hmm. So she goes to like uh, the student center and mm-hmm. sees uh, people at tables. There's like a lot of um, advocates for like causes at yeah. her school. And so she sees these people who are like animal rights activists And so she says, Elle approached the lab rat saviors and asked them if they could put a petition to save underdog on their table. Underdog's her dog. Uh, Which they hastily declined. Like most law school liberals, plagued by the cognitive dissonance of of postponing the revolution until after their interviews, the Ben and Jerry's Peace Corps preferred their causes in the abstract. The choice between saving underdog's room at Crothers or studying in a bark-free atmosphere was a no-brainer. And the housing office, those greedy capitalists, were out to destroy her natural habitat. His natural habitat. Underdog was the victim of humanist discrimination, also known as speciesism. 
there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Let me begin uh, by saying that, like, this is, this starts off as a funny idea, right? Yeah. Elle going to animal rights activists to save, so she her she can keep her dog in her dorm room, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Instead, it turns into this preachy moment. A tirade. A tirade where she is shitting on animal rights activists for not helping her dog and instead fighting for these abstract causes. causes. So it just, it has a weird tone to it where Elle who's a character in her own way, she's very ignorant, right? I mean, she's going to these people to save her own dog. Yeah. Like, that's silly. Yeah. But then she steps up on this soapbox to then shit on them. Yeah. So that's weird. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff in this book that feels very anti-liberal. Yeah. There's a lot of tirades. I mean, there's a whole chapter. Yeah. Where she attends, like, a feminist uh, school group meeting. Yeah. And it's just... Shitting on feminists. Yeah. Uh, And it's like, all right, why? Like, once again, that feels like it would belong in, like, an essay thing. Yeah, and it's just like a throwaway throwaway line that's added in the movie about the one character saying, like, oh, we should change uh, semester to ovester because semester sounds like semen. So we should change it to ovarian. (laughs) Um, And it's just kind of like a a throwaway line in the movie, kind of just being like, oh, there's all different types of people here yeah. at school. But the book is very much like, these are all the feminist women yeah. in the world. Exactly, yeah. Like, like, look, I get, especially like at this point in time, I'm not sure exactly what feminism on co- college campuses looked like. And yeah. I know there's always going to be advocates who are misguided in like what they're oh, yeah. trying to do. But like the book really seems to be like putting liberals in like its crosshairs yeah. and like really trying to like set people down a peg mm-hmm. which is weird it is additionally like based on this passage alone it's weird there's a lot of weird writing in this where l seems to have a knowledge or vocabulary or understanding of things that would be way beyond her character. And it's clearly the author just chiming in. And you can always sense that in books when an author's perspective is suddenly inserted into a book and it doesn't quite fit the character. Like, it it always feels kind of clunky. Yeah, like at one point she uses the word Kafka-esque. Yeah. Which she kind of, she doesn't misuse, but she uses it in a weird, redundant way. Yeah. But like, I'm like, Elle would not know what Kafka-esque is. No. Right? And no. Like, there's just like a lot of weird writing in this book where it's like Elle's character is just like not written well in that regard. Like with an understanding of who she is or what she would know. Yeah. We also get a lot of random scenes. Like she goes on a couple dates with some guy named Jono. And we hear, like, so much about him, and then he's not important to the story. Oh, my God, no. And then we get another scene where she goes out with some plastic surgeon named Austin. And, like, this feels like an essay, like a little, like, chapter, because it's kind of like a joke about how she suddenly gets, like, a, a bloody nose for some reason. And the joke is that Austin thinks that she is using Coke. And yep. she's getting um, a bloody nose from that, but it's actually something else. And it's this funny situation. Except... It's not played in a way that's funny. No. And, like, Austin never appears again in the story. No. And that's not the kind of book this is anyway. Or, like, it doesn't 
feel like it's not a bunch of little vignettes. No. Like there are some, but ultimately it feels more like an overarching narrative. Yeah. So, yeah, just like weird choices like that. Yeah. It's also worth mentioning in the book that uh, at some point in time, Ellen Warner just start hooking up. Yeah, at least the one time. Yeah, just on the side. And that's like, whatever. And it's fine. Ella's <laughs> like, this is good. Yeah. I'm okay with this. She also gets uh, outlines put in her mailbox for classes to help her through her classes and poems written to her by her secret angel, Ian. I, look, the whole <laughs> secret angel subplot of like who this person was who was writing her admiring letters i was genuinely like curious about yeah turns out it's a character who when i heard his name i was like who's that who is that and like if they were even mentioned earlier which i'm not certain they were yeah like it was so briefly that they might as well have been invented on the spot yeah she is like nicknaming all of her classmates like alliterative nicknames like it's serious sarah boring ben yeah scary carrie uh, arrogant Aaron. Uh, b- uh, macabre Mark. Michael. Michael. Macabre Michael. Doctor Dan. Like it just—it's endless, and these are people that we never see again. Like Scary Carrie ends up on the internship with them, but like besides like Sarah Warner and L and her friend Eugenia to a certain extent, none of these characters have any significance on the story at all. No, and like you know that little mechanism could be like a silly but effective way of getting you to remember certain characters if it's used in a limited way and probably just for like one chapter when you introduce them yeah but like it mentions so many of them and it just is something that like happens throughout the book so much that i just wanted to gouge my own eyes out it was so painful and then we have this whole other section about how l wants to found found Form? <laughs> yeah, what is the... She wants to form. Form, okay. Um, The Blonde Legal Defense Council, which is a legal institution to defend blondes because she says that blondes have been discriminated against and that their rights are being violated. And, like, this comes across <laughs> as so awful and, like, privileged and short-sighted and, like, white <laughs> privilege, Ian, like... I think the movie does a good job of kind of showing, and there's a scene where Emmett specifically says, like, I think being a blonde gives you power because people underestimate you. Yeah. But it's played to a, a good level of, like, yes, she's underestimated, and there's more to her than you see. But it doesn't, like, push, like, ugh, she's being discriminated against, yeah. Ian, because she has blonde hair, and the book is very much like, ugh, blondes, right? <laughs> They're being discriminated against. Well, yeah, and that goes back to, I can't tell if I'm supposed to take her seriously in these moments. Or I if know. I, or if I'm supposed to laugh at her. Yeah. Because in some ways, the things she says like that are so ridiculous that, like, you want to laugh. But then she goes on these tirades that, like, feel very grounded mm-hmm. against other institutions that I'm yeah. like, what am I supposed to think about anything in this I, story? I have no idea. Shall we... Go back to the movie. Please, Ian. <laughs> Please. That's what our listeners are probably thinking right now. Yeah, they're Please. like, why? Go back to the movie. I'm never going to read this book, especially now. Uh, so there's a scene where Vivian tells Elle about a party that she yeah. describes as a costume party. <laughs> so Elle shows up in this, like, 
Playboy-esque bunny outfit. It's great. It's so good. And the thing I love most about it is that, like, where a lot of movies, I think, would have had the lead character, like, running away and crying because she's been embarrassed. Yeah. Like, Elle has a moment of, like... All right. Oh, and then she's like, <laughs> ta-da! Yeah. And then it's like, all right, I'm just going to, like, and walk around this party and just, like, deal with it. Oh, my God. I love Vivian spitting out her drink <laughs> when she sees Elle. I it's know. so funny. It's like... It was so much worse that she probably was even imagining. I know. <laughs> but I do just love, once again, Elle's kind of confidence. Mm-hmm. Like, even though she's obviously embarrassed to a degree, she's like, I just gotta just gotta go with it. Yeah, and she goes up to talk to Warner. And even when Warner's like, why are you wearing this? She doesn't say, like, oh, Vivian no, did this yeah. to me. She's just kind of like, oh, you know, I just wanted to dress up. Like She just owns it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So she has this conversation with Warner and... You know, she's still trying to win him over, mm-hmm. you know, trying to, like, remind him of what they had. And uh, and then Warner says, I, I don't know what specifically, but just alludes to the fact that, like, come on now. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, you're not. You're not smart you're not enough. You're not smart enough to, like, get through Harvard Law School. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. And I love how she's like, well, we both got into the same school. Like, we took the same LSATs. We did the yeah. same the same things and he's still not convinced and she has this moment and she tells him she's like i'm never going to be good enough for you am i yeah and i love that this scene comes so early yes of her kind of maybe not a hundred percent giving up on warner yet but kind of just like realizing like yeah you're never gonna respect me like no matter what i do mm-hmm. and whereas before her priority was to get warner back now her priorities shift and she wants to show not just Warner, but like herself, that she's more than what he thinks of her. Yeah. And the book, I feel like, has the Warner question hanging in the air for so long. Yeah. That like, you know, even though you see Elle starting to take more pride in what she's doing, like, yeah, the Warner thing still feels like the biggest incentive for, like, the majority of the story. Yeah, and she's, like, inexplicably still into him, even though she says in multiple different times, like, his faults and talks about how he's annoying or, like, not great. and or self-obsessed. Self-obsessed. And, but she's still into him, and it's just not understandable. And I think this moment in the movie is so rewarding. And, of course, this begins, like... I, I call this a, like, revenge montage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's the scene of her buying the computer in her bunny outfit oh, yeah. and Emmett being like, what? And she's like, don't ask. But then it's just, like, her on the, like, Stairmaster, like, studying, mm-hmm. her, like, answering questions in class, yeah. her just being like, fuck all y'all, I'm going to show <laughs> you, like, who I can be, and I'm going to, like, be better than everyone, and I love that for her. I I do, too, and I think it takes, like, it's time doing this effectively, like, mm-hmm. her answering right questions in class, she's still very uncertain. Yes. And it's, like, kind of a slow progression that I think, like, feels somewhat realistic. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about one of the most <laughs> iconic scenes of the movie. Yes. The bend and snap. Yes. Paulette, the nail technician that Elle has befriended, is in love with a FedEx delivery man or UPS delivery man. I don't know which one. Um, But she can't muster up the nerve to talk to him. And so Elle is giving her some pointers. And this begins the scene where she illustrates how to do the bend and snap. And Ian, does this make sense? I (laughs) was going to say this might be a controversial take. Yeah. 
I don't like this scene. I don't either. It feels like it doesn't fit into the movie. And in fact, Ian and I both read that this was originally supposed to be a musical number. Yeah, which makes so much sense. And then they were like, oh, that doesn't really fit in with the tone of the movie because there's no other musical number. So we'll just kind of turn it into like a group, like everybody doing the Ben and Snap together. But honestly, that doesn't work either for me. No. Yeah. Here's the thing too, Adina. I could accept the Bend and Snap if the snap wasn't so awkward. Yeah, if the snap didn't involve putting your arms directly underneath your boobs to like, like prop like a, them up. Like a like T-Rex. A shelf. Like, like, a, a, like a T-Rex shelf. Yeah, like yeah. just like these little arms. Like yeah. It's not like, oh, pick something up and kind of like stand up in a sexy, confident way. It's like snap your back upwards and like shove Frame your, your wrists under your boobs. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't, if someone, if a woman did that, I'd be like, are you okay? Yeah, no, I think the bending over showing your ass, right? Great. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> and then maybe just like kind of like getting up and kind of like rolling your shoulders back. Yeah. You know, in a confident way, I would believe that. But the the whole like arm placement is where I'm lost in. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't either. I'm <laughs> glad we're on the same page about this because yeah. I know it's like a really iconic scene and I think a lot of people love it, but I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it. It feels so weird. No, I would never do this in real life. And I mean, ultimately, I think the payoff is funny when Paulette <laughs> tries to do it and headbutts the UPS guy. Like, and breaks his nose. And, yeah. <laughs> and they still end up together. Like, yeah. I think that's all very funny and well done. Mm -hmm. But just like the move and the weird energy of the scene where it feels like a musical number is about to begin. Like beginning, but yeah, it doesn't. But never happens. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It's super, super bizarre. Um, also in the movie at this time, the internships for Professor Callahan's class are opening and Elle applies. You know, we get her pink her pink scented resume, yes. of course. And then when the positions are posted, we get the iconic scene of Elle marching up to the board, <laughs> reading her name and then just screaming, me! <laughs> I love this. It's so funny. I, yeah. It's great. I love how intimidating she is to everyone around her. Like, when she says me and, like, kind of, like, shakes her fist, <laughs> like, the people around her are, like, worried, well, right? <laughs> and after she reads her name and, because, like, she has to push her way up yeah. in line to read her name, but then when she walks back, like, people part. Yeah. Like the Red Sea from her. <laughs> and it's so great. Yeah. Uh, and in the book, there it's a very similar setup, except instead of the internship being under a professor, it is just like a law firm that is taking on students, uh, students for cases to mm -hmm. do like research and just kind of like general uh, bullshit Stuff. things that need to be done. <laughs> yeah. This is where Emmett is officially introduced in the movie and Professor Callahan is leading the internship like we said in the movie, whereas in the book, it is uh, Christopher Miles, right? Yeah. How old is Christopher Miles? Well, in the book, they say that there's gray in his hair, right? Sure, but we're all at an age now. Okay, maybe late 30s. Okay. is Or mid 30s. Because that's like the only thing we're told is that his hair is graying. Yeah. And I'm like, that could be... 
a wide range oh, yeah. of ages. Although I would say 40s, because he specifically talks about how like he remembers his youthful enthusiasm yeah. for the law, and I feel like more than 10 years have passed since his law school days. It so. feels that way. Yeah. So, and like he's he feels like an accomplished lawyer at this point, which yeah. would take some time, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. So it's just like very vague. It is. Uh, but like Elle meets with him in the book, mm-hmm. and very early on they go to dinner together and that's how she like pitches herself to the internship so it's very gray yeah and like she's into him but we're not really given a lot of reason as to why she would be yeah it's weird it is weird Ian. i agree i don't love it 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 only gets grayer (laughs) or darker from there yeah and we're introduced now, at this time, in both the book and the movie, to the trial, right? Um, the Brooke Vandermark case. And let's talk about Brooke and the case a little bit. So Brooke is a young woman. In the book, she's only a year older than Elle. And in the movie, she's four years older than Elle. They went to the same school. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in similar sororities, if not the same one, just also in a sorority. And Brooke has married an older man in his 60s or older. Um, And she's not his first wife. And she finds him dead and is now accused of murdering him. Yes, the primary witness of the... not the murder, but like the situation the was the scene of the crime was the victim's daughter, Chutney. Who, Chutney, <laughs> Jesus Christ! What a name! Who? What is it? The same in the movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and she is like the same age as Brooke. Yeah. Or like even older. Mm-hmm. And so, like, obviously, that's like a weird situation. Yeah. Uh, but she says that like I found her standing, trying to move my father's dead body, and she mm-hmm. had blood all over her. So Brooke is in a really tough situation. Yeah, and so the um, in both the versions, uh, Elle is now involved in the case defending Brooke. Yeah, in the book we get Elle telling us an extensive backstory on Brooke's life, which was just so long. This part of the story was just, like, very dense, and, like, I was confused as to why we were getting this much information, and Elle is basically, like, trying to interview for this internship opportunity by being like, I know a lot about the case already because I already know who Brooke is, And she's like, oh, yeah, she used to be fat. (laughs) And then, like, her dad was cheating on her mom, and she told her mom about it, and her mom didn't believe her. So then her parents both, like, disinherited her and, like, cut her off. Like, the whole point of the story is that Brooke, even though she came from money originally, had to, like, build herself back up and become someone. And And create, like, a fitness empire. Yeah, and that she did, and that's why that Elle respects her and doesn't think she would have killed her husband because she didn't really need the money. Yeah. And, like, I get, like, the wanting to establish that point in that, like, general bio. Yeah. But, like, the book, it was just pages of backstory of her. And Mm -hmm. I felt very confident. I'm like, I don't think any of this is actually going to matter to the story. So I skimmed quite a bit of it. (laughs) I'll be, I'll be upfront because it was not interesting. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. And it, it doesn't affect the story no. later on. I mean, Ella's like, Brooke didn't do it. I know she didn't do it. And then that's like basically all we need. And it's similar in the movie. But, you know, I do love Elle's iconic line about like <laughs> uh, exercise giving gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. And happy people just don't kill their husbands. <laughs> 
<laughs> they just don't. <laughs> it's so good. Um, I want to talk briefly here. Just, you know, we've talked about the writing being weird in terms of like the narrative. You know what I mean? In terms of like Elle being an inconsistent character. Yeah. The story being oddly paced. Uh, but I also want to mention that like it's were it's bad on like a small scope too. Yeah. There are many moments of we so like the whole book or like 97%, 98% of the book is written from like a limited third person perspective, right? Yes. So it's like not in the first person, but it's essentially like from her point of view. Yeah, it follows L. It's what L knows, but it's not from the eye. It's from like L did this, yeah. L did that. Which is why a lot of those lines about like Kafka-esque and like, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's not her saying them or thinking them directly, they feel weird because like. Out it, of place. It implies that L knows these things or thinks these things, right? Yeah. But occasionally the book and the writing will shift us into the perspective or thoughts of another character. Like Warner. Like Warner or yeah. Sarah mm-hmm. or um, Christopher. Yeah. Like weirdly out of nowhere and it's so jarring. Yeah, and it'll suddenly be like them talking about something and Elle's not there or them talking about Elle. And like it is so bizarre because the book has established that we're following Elle mm-hmm. only. Um, And if the book wanted to be a multi-perspective story, it needs to establish that early on and then yeah. be consistent with that. But it's not. It's just all over the place. And it'll just be like for it's not even like a chapter in another person's no. pe- perspective. It's like a paragraph. Yeah. And I'm like suddenly it's just like such and such. He was thinking blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, why? What? Why are we getting his thoughts? Like how? Yeah. Does it doesn't this work. It doesn't make sense. Also, formatting in terms of formatting. The way that the quotations and dialogue goes in the book yeah. is actually, like, all wrong. Like, it'll s- switch paragraphs when a character is still speaking. Yeah. Like, it's switching back and forth between two characters talking, but it's just the same person talking. Yeah, it'll just be a continuation of what they were saying before, even though there's a line break. Yeah. And the quotations in both paragraphs are closed. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like... You have to figure it out. Yeah. There's also contradictory information given to us. Like at one point, Elle introduces uh, Eugenia to Brooke during the like trial. But we had already had a scene where the three of them hung out together. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, what the hell? And then there's another part where Elle talks about how she still wanted to get Warner back. And then a couple like like a paragraph later, she says like, oh, thank God for Eugenia for showing her what Warner was really like or what his true colors were. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You just said you still want to get back with him. Yeah. Like, it just makes no sense. Like, I think this goes beyond, like, first draft problems. I know. But I think it really does highlight the fact that this is a self-published book. And that, like, there was... Nobody was like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) No one, Ian. Because, like, I think there's really widespread problems in terms of, like... Just the book not having a good pacing or flow and, like, things that drastically need changed. But even just, like, fix your fucking quotations. Yeah. Like, exclude these, like, very small parts that are from other characters' perspectives or, like, what they want or, like, what they think of L. Yeah. Like, there are points when, like, you get what someone else is thinking of L when they look at her. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just feels very... 
unrefined. Yeah. Like, it really does feel like someone's first attempt. First attempt at a first book that was never edited. And that's why I'm curious. Like, I know this book was bought later by other publishing companies. Yeah. And I'm like, did they publish this as is? Or did they at least, like, fix some of this shit? I don't know. It's really awful, though, Ian. Like, (laughs) this is one of the worst books I've ever read. Yeah. Like, format. In terms of, like, formatting. Yeah. And, you know, there's some parts of the prose Like, the actual descriptors, I mean, like, there's still a lot of problems with that, too, I'd say. But, like, I'm sorry, what's the author's name? Brown? Amanda Brown. Amanda Brown. Like, I do think Amanda Brown has potential as a writer, and I know she's written since this book. Yeah. Like, some of her prose aren't bad. Some of, like, her descriptions and details. Like, if you were to read a random paragraph from this book, you might be like, oh, this isn't, like, too bad. Yeah. Uh, But, like... Like, in a way, I think Nicholas Sparks could be, like, more boring, like, in yeah. his prose and the way he writes things. Yeah. But, like, in in terms of the structure and cohesion of the story, like, this is just really needs reshaped drastically. Definitely. Uh, I just want to talk to right now a little bit about Elle and Sarah slash Vivian and their relationship, because as the story progresses, the two of them are kind of getting closer to each other in the book. In the book, we have a scene where Elle meets Sarah at the gym. Yeah. And Sarah is like, oh, could you help me out at the gym? Mm -hmm. And Elle is like, oh, this could be like a bonding moment for us where like I help you out at the gym and you give me your law school notes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, geez, this is very unbalanced. Yeah. I don't like this. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I do like even in the book, these characters Getting to know each other better. Yeah. Although it's weird because on one hand, like her and Sarah in the book feel like they take a step towards getting to know each other better. Yeah. Then it feels like they take a step back. Yeah. Where Sarah's back to being kind of a bitch to her. I know. It goes back and forth a lot. Yeah. And then at the end, they're like, oh, back to being like close or Mm -hmm. like closer anyway. Yeah. Whereas in the, um, you know, the movie, they start to have a respect for each other. Then there's a a noticeable setback, which is established in the plot, and mm-hmm. then that's reset. Like, but it's like it makes sense in the story. Yeah, I like in the movie how L gets the alibi from Brooke mm-hmm. about the liposuction, which is a great <laughs> another great scene. Yeah, it's Her so screaming funny. into the like. <laughs> prison phone about the liposuction <laughs> or like her mumbling it at first like, yeah about <laughs> in the book it's a shopping uh home network shopping addiction support group yeah that she can't reveal which like couldn't she just ask someone hey do you mind yeah would any of you come forward so i don't get charged with murder yeah you know like i get her motives for wanting to keep them anonymous mm-hmm. because they were there for her. Yeah. But like, it seems like an easy workaround for her to be like, ask, like, just ask someone. Yeah. And whereas in the movie, the kind of shamefulness and damage to her reputation is a lot more understandable. Yeah. And she says, like, I already lost my husband. Like, I can't lose my career, too. Yeah. Uh, So, like, it's still silly in a way, but like, it makes sense, I think, more. Yeah. And Vivian knows that Elle is refusing to reveal Brooke's alibi because Brooke asked her not to. So, like, Vivian respects Elle's, like, integrity mm-hmm. and kind of her standards for, like, the client, um, 
confidentiality, uh, whereas Warner thinks that she's being kind of stupid. Yeah, and there's a great scene where Warner's like, forget her, do it for yourself. And like Vivian very noticeably listening Mm -hmm. and kind of questioning her fiance. Yeah, and then, you know, there's a scene later where they bond and they're talking about Warner and how much of a dumbass he is. (laughs) And like, oh, um, he got waitlisted and like his dad had to use like nepotism to get him into Harvard. Yeah, And then also kind of complaining about being in this internship and Callahan kind of like asking the women to get him coffee all the time, but not really doing that to the men. Yeah. Yeah. I think their bonding makes like a lot of sense and I like it. Uh, It works well in the story. Yeah. And like, I think too, like even though Vivian's been kind of a bitch to Elle, like you do understand her perspective of like, I'm engaged in like his former girlfriend suddenly shows up at law school Clearly wanting to, like, like win him back, back, and that would make you probably defensive, Mm -hmm. so. Um, Let's talk about the trial begins, right? Brooke's trial begins, and there is a interesting scene early on with one of the witnesses, the pool boy. Enrique. Enrique, who claims that he was having a relationship with Brooke. Yeah, and this would give Brooke a motive to murder her husband. And we never really find out if Enrique is being put up to this by anyone yeah which i find interesting but uh i love that Elle's intuition here uh helps her out she he makes the comment to her about her prada shoes (laughs) i love her asking warner like warner what shoes am i wearing and he's like black ones (laughs) (laughs) you know this is one of those things where like is this kind of generalizing gay men yes yeah But I think the movie has won your confidence at this point. Mm -hmm. And, like, the whole movie and this situation is silly enough that, like, I think it's, like, fine. Yeah. That she's like, oh, he's totally gay. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the scene that follows is so good with, because Emmett, well, Callahan, you know, the lead attorney, like, kind of disregards her intuition. Yeah. But Emmett trusts her. And so Emmett kind of steps up to question Enrique mm-hmm. after Callahan stops. <laughs> and I love the way he's like. He throws it in. Yeah, he's like, and your boyfriend's name is. Chuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Just the the sequence of events is just so funny. And then Enrique being like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. <laughs> Chuck is just a friend. And then Chuck in the audience or like courtroom just, just standing man. up and being like, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and like walking away and then we can be like, Chuck, no. <laughs> like throwing the whole court into pandemonium. I love it. It's so funny. It's just like a really well executed scene that's yeah, so good. <laughs> yeah. And I love that this is L, you know, Having an instinct for something and pursuing that. And again, Emmett trusting her yeah. in this scene. And then, of course, we get the scene after this, which is with Callahan. Yes. Callahan invites her kind of not in his office, but in like a secluded location mm-hmm. and starts off by praising Al, being like your intuition was right. Like you clearly have an aptitude for this. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you might want to consider or I would consider like bringing you on board the firm uh, and then when they sit down, he places his hand up her skirt. Yeah. And she immediately is like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Of course, Vivian sees this exact specific moment and then leaves. Yeah. But Callahan is like, I know what I want. And I- like, you know, you're pretty and this is the way for you to get to the top. And like, 
you know, this is what I expect of you. This is what I think of you. I remember like watching this with you. Yeah. Because I wanted to show this movie to you like a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hadn't seen it in a while. And just remembering and seeing this scene and just feeling like how well this was executed. So well. Because it's not gratuitous and it's not like overly creepy, you know. It's a kind of simple scene. You know, he just places his hand on her leg and implies something to her. And then she's like, no, and like leaves. But it really gets its point across. And I think, honestly, the issues that this film brings up have not gone away. And especially in the wake of like the Me Too movement, like this movie was really ahead of its time. Yeah. To portray sexual harassment in the workplace in this way that was so nuanced. Um, And you know Elle's perspective, you know what she's going through without making it like overly dramatic and yeah. kind of exploitive. Absolutely. And I love later because um, Elle is talking to Paulette about the incident. Yeah. And she says like, I thought he saw like potential in me, but he only saw a piece of ass. And yeah. I think it, it does such a good job of highlighting like even in a s- scene like this where like, you know, you probably wouldn't even call this like sexual assault. It's no. more just like kind of harassment. But, like, how that can just destroy someone's self-esteem and sense of self-worth and, Mm -hmm. like, how damaging something like that can be. Yeah. Because, like, this is something where, like, you know, if you told this story to someone, they might easily be, like, so what? Like, come on. Like, you got to be, like, tougher Tougher than than that. that, You know what I mean? And, like, kind of dismiss it. But, like, I think it does a good job of showing how devastating something like that. Because, like, clearly she admired Callahan and thought she was, like – being um you know respected for her own value yeah and then realizing that like even if she was that like first and foremost he sees me as like a sexual prospect yeah um and yeah i just think it handles it like super well Mm -hmm. uh and similarly what is what is great is that like when she's leaving you know Emmett is like hey what's wrong because he sees she's upset and she explains what happened yeah and he's shocked, I think, or at least to a degree. Yeah. Um, but like, doesn't doubt her. No, he doesn't question her. He's not like, well, what did he say? Mm-hmm. What were you doing? Did you imply anything? You know, he's immediately like, well, fuck him, right? Yeah. You know, he his concern is with her, and he's like, listen, none of that's true. Like, you know, you don't need to quit the case. Like, we need you, and and he wants her to stay, and he asks her to stay, and his priority is her. And we see throughout the rest of the film that, like, he believes her. Yeah. He doesn't once question Elle's, you know, what she told him about Callahan. The fact that Callahan is his boss and, like, is the pathway to his own career Mm -hmm. is not something that's ever brought up or that he struggles with at all. He just is, like, of course I believe you and I will support you. When I think, like, he doesn't immediately say like i'm gonna quit no no he's still almost like processing it himself like he doesn't have any immediate answers yeah but then at a point like when push comes to shove he's like yeah fuck him like let's yeah i choose you over him yeah yeah he's just so great and so support he is genuinely he's the perfect man like honestly so like you know um Elle tells this story to Paulette because mm-hmm. she's she's leaving. She's going to leave Harvard, like abandon everything she's Go back worked to on. LA. And then the professor who was so tough on her at the beginning, mm-hmm. she is at the hair salon unnoticed and overhears this. And she kind of tells Elle. I mean, I guess she kind of tells her like, 
not toughen up, but yeah. like, I believe in you almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have appreciated her saying something along the lines of like, let me worry about Callahan or like, yeah, like, I'm in your corner maybe. To like find out as a fellow professor that like he is like sexually harassing Like, I would have liked to have heard her say something like, I'm going to report him to the... (laughs) I'm going to do something. Yeah. Um, But, like, she, you know, stands behind Elle. Mm -hmm. And in a following scene, too, Emmett informs Brooke... And Vivian. And Vivian what happened. Mm -hmm. And Brooke is like, fuck him. I don't want him representing me if he's a piece of shit. And Mm -hmm. Vivian realizes her mistake. Yeah, and says, I messed up. Um, And and admits admits that you know and again we're seeing Emmett totally in support of Elle yeah um which leads to Brooke firing Callahan and having Elle represent her you know (laughs) as silly and funny and like lighthearted as this movie is in so many ways like seeing Elle like re-enter the courtroom in pink in pink yeah like almost like chokes me up I know because it's just like so motivating and like seeing what she went through and Mm -hmm. I don't know it just executes all of this so well and the fact is is she's also not doing it alone Ian it's not like oh she's so strong it's like no look at the people that are supporting her and are making sure that she has support and knows that she's valuable you know you have Brooke you have yeah. Vivian, you have Emmett standing up for her. We have her law professor and, and Paulette and everybody and being like, no, you are valuable. We want you here. There's space for you here. And then her kind of claiming her signature color back because she's been dressing in blacks. Yeah. Throughout yes. um, the trial and everything. And now she's like, well, fuck that. I'm back to pink. Yeah. It using that as her showing like her true colors, you know, so to speak. And yeah, just embracing that side of herself that has helped her excel as a lawyer, you know, mm-hmm. like her own personal unique perspective. Yeah. It's great. It's so good. Yeah. Let's contrast this with the book where Elle is just kind of trying to date Christopher Miles, the lawyer that's handling the case. It's weird. Yeah. I don't like any of it. Like, I don't know why she's into him. No. He is very inappropriate by, like, pursuing a relationship with a student intern mm-hmm. of his yep. and like so quickly too mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean they go on several dates and at the end of the story they seem to be an item yeah i hate it i hate it too <laughs> uh also there's a scene in the book where she gets dinner with warner because he leaves her a voicemail that seems like he's really rethinking his whole life yeah and she's like this is it he's gonna leave sarah for me mm-hmm. and like this is my time and she goes to dinner and he's like talking about him rethinking himself and not being pressured by his family or sarah and he's like building up yeah this entire speech and he like reaches in his pocket <laughs> and pulls out two golf tees yeah and he's like just puts him on the table. And he's like, I'm not going to let Sarah or my family tell me I can't golf anymore. <laughs> this is such a weird scene, Ian, because I have no idea why she thinks he's going to propose to her. I... I feel like this scene was reworked into the beginning of the movie mm. where it made sense that yeah. they'd be going out to dinner and she thought he was going to propose. Yeah. But it's just inexplicably in like the last three fourths of the book. Yeah. 
And like they talk about in the book, it talks about how she goes to the bathroom to, and, and cries. But then there's no resolution after that. It switches to like a different scene. Yeah. Like where are where did they leave off? Yeah. What's uh, going through her mind about Warner? I will say the one the one thing I appreciate is like. What is the worst thing if you're expecting a <laughs> engagement ring? What's the worst thing a man could instead pull out of his pocket? And I'm like, golf tees is definitely up there. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we get into the climactic courtroom situation? Yes. It's time to interview Chutney. Chutney. Oh, Chutney. Played by uh, Linda... Car- Cardellini? Don't, don't look at me. Car- yeah, Cardellini Or something right. like that. From Fe- Freaks and Geeks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Elle is now representing Brooke mm-hmm. with the help of Emmett because she's not a technically a lawyer. Emmett has to, like, supervise. Yeah. And the other thing I, I love about this is that, like, she's very uncertain. Yes. Which I think works well. Like, mm-hmm. even though she walks in confident, it's like, oh my god, now I'm, like, actually, like, doing this for real. Yeah, yeah. And she's not just instantly good at it. She does re- She does need to warm up a lot. Yeah. And I love how much Emmett encourages her. Is Emmett the perfect man? <laughs> yes, Ian. I think he is. <laughs> like, he's charming. Yeah. He believes her he's supportive he's patient mm-hmm. he's encouraging there's this understanding between them that is so well visually uh explained yeah just the looks that they give each other even that scene with um Enrique mm-hmm. where Emmett's like I'll take care of it don't worry and like kind of the two of them looking at each other like you just know that they're in sync yeah and they get each other it's so good it is uh so she is questioning Chutney yes Kind of not sure, like, you know, she starts off awkwardly explaining legal terms to the judge who's like, why are you telling me this? And yeah. then kind of asking her questions, just repeating, like, her her statement about where she was and everything. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere until Chutney mentions getting a perm. Earlier in the day. Earlier in the day. And, you know, credit to the book. Yeah. This... This entire scene from the movie is basically pulled from the book. Yeah. One of the only good scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, and this is the the part where, you know, Elle, using her own unique and sp- specific uh, knowledge base and perspective, is like, hold on. Yeah. You got a perm earlier that day. But when the shot was fired that killed your dad, you were in the shower washing your hair. Mm-hmm. And this is where she she traps her yeah. in a typical movie courtroom <laughs> scenario. It's and totally accurate to the real courtroom how situation. every murder trial has ever gone <laughs> where the actual murderer gets caught up in their own lie. And then, and then just admits the truth. Melts down and admits the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it is obviously very rapidly wrapped up and silly, but I mean, it fits with the movie. It does. And, you know, Chutney admitting that she shot her father accidentally because <laughs> she thought it was Brooke. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Uh, and of course, Elle has this victory. Brooke is freed. Elle has proven herself. Uh, it's just great all around. Yeah. Good feelings. Outside the courtroom, Warner is like, hey... I underestimated you. Yeah. And I should be with you. And she's like, get fucked. Yeah. 
<laughs> she basically throws around his throws back at him his like dicking around comment. Yeah. That he made when he was breaking up with her and says like Hey, if I want to be a partner by 30, I have to be with someone who isn't such a total bonehead. (laughs) And then she walks off into a white dimensional void that is the outside, I guess. (laughs) I actually read that um, the Warner scene and the following graduation scene were added later because test audiences, I think it was supposed to end at the courtroom trial. Yeah. But test audiences had like too many like unanswered questions or they mm-hmm. wanted to know what happened yeah so the warner scene happened and then we get this graduation scene and a little epilogue yeah where you know she gives she is the graduation speaker y- yeah and and you know gives her a little speech and then we get the classic college graduation title cards with each character mm-hmm. where we find out vivian had dumped warner yes that uh warner <laughs> would be graduating without honors without a girlfriend <laughs> and without any job prospects yes we get a great cameo of Elle's parents where <laughs> Elle's dad just has a martini in his hand at the graduation ceremony that was all so right funny you go man you go i just it, it felt like it would belong in like a more ridiculous comedy yeah because like the only scene we ever saw him and he was just drinking a martini by the pool and he's yeah. like here i am I at Elle's graduation it. with my martini <laughs> of course paulette married the uh package delivery man yep and they're they're expecting their first child who they will name after l and then we get to see Emmett, who quit Callahan's firm, started his own practice and is going to be proposing to l tonight i loved that ending note you know kind of bringing it back to the beginning where she expected the proposal yeah Mm -hmm. just excellent and you know what's interesting is that l and emmett never kiss in this movie which is wild but it's great but it feels like such a good story well i mean like that that's such a testament to how good their relationship works that they didn't need that moment in the movie for them to feel like a great pairing Mm because i mean it's funny because emmett never like asks her out no he never does anything no like he doesn't that. make a move no <laughs> yeah they end up together yeah it's great it is um yeah and the, the book you know has the similar courtroom scene mm-hmm. we get a following epilogue scene where uh the next day uh sarah shows up to Elle's house and that she is like highlights now highlights in her hair <laughs> and like has dumped warner and that her and Elle seem happy happy now which i'm like all right yeah like that works i didn't even expect this much from the book but like i'm happy it delivered on that front mm-hmm. that like they were so antagonistic towards each other throughout the whole story that i like seeing them be friends now yeah um and that's that's all she wrote that's the end of the story and which one is better it's the movie <laughs> it's, it's the movie <laughs> It's the movie. It's the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a while since I've read a book this bad. It might be worse than a notebook, in my opinion. They're both bad in such different ways. Yeah. Um, Like, the notebook was bad in that it was, like, boring and, like, dull in my mind. But, like, at least the general plot made sense, even though I didn't think it was told very well. Yeah. This was... Like, the prose were sometimes better, but the plot, it was not just boring at points, 
with like her like the law school yeah. stuff and her classes. But it was like frustratingly weird in terms of like how it delivered information to the point of being confusing. Yeah. And I thought that like the where it decided to focus, it's like time and attention. Like mm-hmm. we got like four pages of Brooke's backstory. I know. But like L taking her LSATs. No, it's like a line. Yeah, it was like a paragraph. Yeah. So it was so bizarre, the pacing and structure of this book. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even a well-written book would have had some stiff competition from this movie. This is a really excellent film that I think is a little bit undervalued, especially for the time that it came out in fucking 2001 and the way that it handles sexual harassment, the way that it kind of shows Elle... And I love her character. And we didn't talk about this like as much as I wanted to. But like Elle is a very privileged person and they never try to hide that. But Elle is also like a genuinely kind and sincere and generous person. And I think they show that aspect of her character so well, because even though she is very privileged, even though she has a lot of advantages in life, we still root for her. Yeah. And we still care about her because we know what a good person she really is. You know, she faces obstacles in her trying to get this law degree, but I think it always it keeps that in perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it never tries to, like, conflate this into being, like, her deep struggles as a, you know, beautiful, rich white woman, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, yeah. um, you know, it, it's kind of like, her struggles are is that she's perceived as only being attractive and like not very intelligent yeah. and just only focused on her looks without people like considering anything else beyond that. And mm-hmm. like, I think it it takes those obstacles seriously and yeah. kind of just keeps its focus on that and keeps that all in perspective really effectively. Yeah, it's an awesome movie. If it's been a while since you've seen it, go watch it. If you've never seen it, you're missing a crucial piece of cinema. <laughs> Truly. Go watch it right now. It's so fun. I mean, there's a reason people still talk about it and still love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a solid movie from both of us. <laughs> a big movie. Let's do lightning round. Let's do a lightning Okay, so first off for lightning round, I just have to mention in the book, there's like a tiny subplot where Elle decides to design legal themed jewelry. Yes. Because she is like, oh, I know, I'm going to like focus my jewelry ambitions with this legal career and I'm going to make little like scales. I'm going to make a little like shackle like you're going to prison for like a bracelet. Like it's so ridiculous and I guess she like markets it to the home shopping network which is the thing that Brooke was addicted to and she even mentions it to Brooke and Brooke is like why would you say that to me you know that this is like triggering for me (laughs) and Elle is like oh whatever it's so because like she mentions it in like oh my god I had this great idea and she like fills you in on this whole plan in the middle of like a chapter and like I'm like, is this what she wants to do now, like, for a living? Because that sounds like a full-time gig. And then (laughs) it, like, forgets that. And I was like, oh, I guess that was just an idea. And then at the end, she's like, no, I'm still going to do that. (laughs) But just, like, in addition to being a lawyer. And I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Um, We just have to mention the scene in the movie where Elle is walking home to her dorm at night. She passes David, the kind of awkward, nerdy guy. Tall man. Tall man who is asking out this girl and her friend is there. And obviously it's going poorly. The girl is like mocking him and it's like really sad. Yeah. 
and L, in like such a smart, funny move, walks back to David, slaps him, yeah. and is like, "Why didn't you call me? <laughs> you gave me the best night of my life, and yeah. never like called me again. Like, don't even bother." And he storms off, and it's so sweet. I know it's like <laughs> it's handled so in such a funny, effective way. It's great. There's another like. There's just this throw a throwaway line in the movie where Elle says that she got a Coppola to direct her admissions video, (laughs) implying that Francis Ford Coppola or his daughter. Yeah, I think or she says Mia Coppola. One of the Coppolas. I think she said she got a Coppola. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. A Coppola. <laughs> to direct her uh, film, her admissions <laughs> video for Harvard. And it's just like, just so throwaway and it's so funny. And and there are so many lines like that. Well, it makes you think of the Blair Witch line. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, Paulette was so worried that she broke the UPS guy's nose. Yeah. And uh, Ella is like... Don't worry, a friend of mine threw up on a guy when they went to see Blair Witch Project, and then they dated for three months after, <laughs> which is so specific. Just random funny lines. The writing in this movie is just pitch perfect. It's so good, which also the writer wrote uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, wow. Fun fact. And some other rom-coms. Yeah. Oh, my God. There is a part of the book where there's a whole little subplot that like never goes anywhere, as many of these subplots do or don't, uh, where... Warner is asking for a tape from L from Las Vegas, which yeah. you're like, is this like a porn tape? Is this tape? a sex tape? Uh, no, it is Warner's art self, house, art house, self-made documentary of their trip to Vegas, which just sounds like a bunch of like home video stuff that he took. Yeah. We find out that Warner had a secret or has a secret ambition to be a film director. Oh, my God. And that no one understands this about him except for Elle. Yeah. And on one hand, this is something that could have been conveyed very effectively because it is funny that like Warder just seems like a dumb, aimless idiot. Yeah. Who would be like, I mean, I know I'm in law school, but I kind of want to direct films <laughs> like that feels appropriate. But like it never feels like um, self-aware enough about it. Yeah. I'm like, this is the ambitions of a total idiot, right? Yeah. And, like, his movie sounds terrible if you can even call it a movie. Yeah, but we're never given a hint that that's that's happening. No, we're never told, like, Elle is never like, yeah, it was really dumb and boring and aimless, (laughs) but, like, she talks about it fondly. Yeah. But it's just so absurd. So uh, that wraps up Lightning Round and our episode. I just want to say thank you to our patron, Rachel, for suggesting it. You probably had no idea what the book entailed when you suggested this episode. (laughs) Neither did we. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. And it was quite an experience. I mean, I always love talking about shitty things and just getting to bitch about them. Like, there's nothing better, right? I know. I do feel fueled as I'm reading. And I'm like, she's breaking perspective again. And like, furiously writing notes. Taking notes. Yeah. (laughs) And if you have an episode that you would love for us to cover, consider becoming a patron on Patreon because all our patrons get priority episode requests we've done a ton of patron suggested episodes and we love doing them because we love talking about what you want to listen to so you can find us on patreon and if you'd like to support us in another way you can also give us a star rating or review on apple podcast which helps other people find our podcast yes the rating is very helpful to us also, uh, if you go to coveredcredits.com, you can find the links to our Twitter, to our Instagram, to 
uh, Gmail. Gmail. <laughs> you, you can email us. There's a Facebook link. Do uh, the stuff. Follow us on all those accounts. We're pretty active on those. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening to this episode. It was so much fun to do. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.